Yeah. Uh, so wait, so, a special guest. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um. Oh uh, yeah. Welcome, welcome. Uh, gotta finally got all y'all in the place. Uh, finally. Um. Yeah. So let's uh, tell you something. I just want to kick this off by saying I just took a copy editing test for a magazine, and mm-hmm. I think I completely bombed it. Mm-hmm. So uh, shout out to the copy editors out there. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, just um, finally here. Uh, this is, of course, the uh, uh, continuing adventures of uh, Crizzle and Camillo, aka um, Whip Wop Galore. Hey, and hey, one more thing. One more thing. If, if you wouldn't mind, could you pronounce my name, Camilo? Camilo. I usually, I usually, you know, usually growing up, I, I wouldn't correct brothers on my name, but um, I've been doing. I've been leaning into that more as an adult. Um. Anyway, that's all. All right, Go Camilo ahead. and uh, Crystal and Camilo, yeah. and um, our our special uh, guest this week uh, is uh, an old friend of mine. Um, he uh, he's uh, written for um, various publications, uh, Newark Star Ledger, uh, the you know, the uh, Boston Globe, um, which he's uh, won a Pulitzer Prize for. Uh, uh yeah. he currently writes uh, for uh, ProPublica. So, uh, Vernal Coleman, welcome to whatever this is. Welcome, Camilo. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was very good to see you again, Craig. Good okay. to meet you, Camilo. Uh, yeah, good Dirty Jersey. Yeah. yeah, always in the house. Big city. Yeah, indeed. Are you from New Jersey? No, no, no. I'm from the south. Oh, no, you're from Louisiana. Well, yeah, I lost my accent a long time ago, but, uh, you know, I have a special place in my heart for uh, Newark and New Jersey in general, man. Much love to, to the Garden oh, State. We're going to have to get into that, but I don't want to walk over Craig's intro anymore. But go ahead, Craig. I wanna, I, we need to get into that, though. Well, uh, yeah, you uh, you over at uh, ProPublica now. Hey, well, well let's, let's go back to, you know, what I was saying about... Uh, you know the Pulitzer Prize. You in the boss. You you were at the Boston Globe for a while, and, and yeah. you want to tell people uh, what you did there and what you got uh, the uh, the prize for. Yeah, yeah. I believe uh, the Boston Globe was where I was at the last time we did this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was on. Um, I was recruited there and uh, hired there. Uh, thinking, oh man years because I've just sort of bleed begun to bleed in one uh, another now but uh at some point a couple of years ago I, I started work there uh at uh, a what they called a quick strike uh mm-hmm. investigations team mm-hmm. uh which was designed to um produce investigative journalism uh sort of feeding off of the uh, breaking news cycle at a faster clip than say uh, our spotlight team, which would work on a much longer timeline. Spotlight would produce maybe one to two stories a year. Um, and Quick Strike, you know, you walk in every single day and there was something new that uh, an editor or, or just, you know, based on the headlines of the day, you needed to look into something, see if there was some way to dig into um, a storyline and see if they could put out something that hadn't yet to be revealed about any given subject, whether it was, uh, you know, some days you might walk in and there was a crash on, uh, 
on the uh, subway line. Uh, other days you might walk in and there was something that happened with a politician. So you try to dig into that. So it was uh, affectionately known as, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, if there was spotlight, we were a flashlight um, inside the newsroom. Um, a little, little pun that somebody came up with. But uh, yeah, I worked with a team of several folks there. Uh, some long-term veterans in Boston Club newsroom. I was kind of communicated. And uh, yeah, I worked there for almost uh, three years, I want to say. Um, and around maybe year, end of year one, um, the horrific, horrific event happened. Where there was this crash that involved uh, seven people, seven motorcyclists who died uh, in a head-on collision with uh, a truck. And it turned out, this is sort of long story short, but it turned out that that driver not just didn't have a valid license at the time, but had a long and extremely spotty record in terms of this uh, driving history. We're talking about driving, um, you know, various driving violations, uh, driving under the influence to various other things in their past. And because of the nature of the way that uh, the regulations and uh, different uh, sort of uh, protocols and states sort of work and how states talk to each other, there, there just wasn't a way to, for the authorities to sort of catch up or rather, um, yeah, catch up to to these violations, essentially the dude fell through the cracks. Uh, and at the time, you know, he, his license should have been suspended at that moment um, that he was on the road colliding uh, with these motorcyclists. Um, and we continued to cover the story and realized that, you know, it wasn't just him. It was other, um, there were other drivers like him and other drivers, including, you know, the drivers of uh, large transport vehicles who were on the roads. Um, and there wasn't a, the agency that was uh, intended to, to regulate uh, truck drivers and, and you know, uh, commerce um, just didn't have the, I guess, regulatory firepower to uh, to to keep people from like him from um, continuing to work in that industry. So, in any case, uh, we wrote a two well, multi-part story about the whole thing and realized it was a nationwide problem. We were able to discover that there were various different problems uh, with sort of tracking these drivers and all the paperwork transfers in multiple states. Um, and yeah, about uh, stories published, I think in maybe March, a few months later, uh, we got the word that uh, and it was a surprise to me that it had been recognized for a Pulitzer. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty dope. Um, you know, you hope, at the end of the day, I, mean, I don't think anybody uh, would certainly not admit to like shooting for policers when they do this kind of work. Um, but, you know, we just want our work that we do to be, have an impact and mean something and be meaningful to the people who, you know, are affected by it. And it's always nice to, you know, have, uh, to be recognized for that, get the validation that comes with it, you know, but uh, uh, that's part of you that does celebrate it a little bit um, because, you know, it's an accomplishment, certainly. But uh, I just hope that the work that we did continues to have some legacy in terms of, you know, making sure that things get better 
um, for the people who are affected by it. And like this kind of thing just doesn't happen again. Well, <clears throat> yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, I'm sure like, you know, as you know, as somebody I've, I've uh, known just like as a kind of a journeyman journalist, if you will, because, uh, uh, just popping from a lot of place and uh, doing uh, your doing stories and everything. I'm assuming the 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 Pulitzer when uh, it was a a jubilant uh, day in the newsroom. It was. It was. Yeah. Um, and the crazy thing about it is I wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, no, I was. Uh, it's a weird thing, man. Um, so if you look at the photo, uh, it's sometimes weird how it happens because the way it happens nowadays, because, you know, we've got to sort of feed the beast of content. Uh, uh, you're not supposed to know. Like nobody's supposed to know ahead of time mm-hmm. about these things. But word leaks out. One, because that's just what word does, but also... Um, because everybody knows that you got to capture the moment, not just for, you know, because no one is going about the regular part of your day and just be like, oh, hey, we want to put this and you just go back to, you know, regularly scheduled programming. You know what I'm saying? So, so there's like this, this game of phone, telephone that happens. Like, uh, and then somebody's like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, be in the office today or be by your computer at this particular time. And then, you know, if you see people in the office and or you walk into the office on the day the Pulitzers are announced and there's champagne in the refrigerator, somebody found out something, you know. And that's basically how it was with the Boston Globe thing. You know, they invited everybody, even the folks who who were on my team who had already left the newspaper to come in because, you know, they wanted to put up the photo. Uh, of course, I was in Chicago at the time, so because I had already been hired away. Uh, so if you see that photo, I'm not in it. Mm-hmm. I was like, y'all could uh, at least Photoshop me in there, but you know, that's fine, whatever. Um, but no, it was cool. Uh, like I said, it's it's validating as part of you. It's just like, okay, um, this is really cool. And all this, all the pomp, and you know, that she it's a celebration initially. You know, you, you accomplish this thing with all your colleagues and whatnot. Everybody jumps up in the air, has champagne, toast them. And, and then, you know, later, a couple months later, you go to a ceremony at uh, Columbia um, University and you get to rub shoulders with all the, you know, the, I guess, the elite of journalism, uh, you know, uh, which was cool. And, you know, for some of us, it was like, yeah, man, I didn't pay $100,000 to go here, but I ended up here anyway. So, hey. Uh, so that was kind of cool. I, I definitely wore a pair of Jordans. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, I'm gonna be me. So, so that was cool. Um, and yeah, you get to meet people that you never thought you'd meet. Like uh, you know, past Pulitzer Prize winners, people who are you know your journalism heroes. Uh, you know, I got to meet um, Nicole Hannah Jones. Got to, you know, uh, share some stories, some uh, uh, some refreshment with her. So that was cool. Um, and, you know, it's a whole process. And it was nice. You know, it was very celebratory. Uh, and then the other part of it is, like, um, the thing that, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, it doesn't get talked about as much, but then you're like, well, what now? Mm-hmm. Like, what's next? 
um, because journalism is a hard road. And like, you know, yeah, I've been talking since I was like 23, 24. I was first starting in the business. It's, you know, it can be tough. Yeah. So the question is like, do you stay in it? Why do you, and if you are, you know, what do you want to continue to accomplish? Because you kind of have to keep having that conversation with yourself. Well, I'm sure people uh, kind of how well keep people holler at you when they found out that you won the Pulitzer. I mean, I don't know what's usually is as somebody who's never won a Pulitzer. I don't know what is the is it is it the same as like when you went to some other prestigious honor, just like you get people hit you up like you know either for jobs or get relatives to see if you know hey man my car broke down would you could you hook a brother up or anything like that hey i mean well it's, it's interesting as far as that's concerned the last part of that i mean the you do certainly there's a, a monetary prize uh mm-hmm. with the pulitzer but you know it's not like a huge amount of money uh like my father said uh when i, when I won he was like uh oh so you get a hundred thousand dollars for that? It's like one, is that's the Nobel Prize, not the Pulitzer Prize. I didn't win the Nobel Prize. Uh, the no, I think the the top, the the Pulitzer Prize. I think I want to say is fifteen or maybe it's ten. Anyway, but it's around ten. 15. It's around ten, yeah, somewhere between there. And if you know you're working with a team, you split that. Yeah. Now here's so you know it wasn't a I was working my team was like five people so you know it wasn't a huge amount of money we split all that money but at the end of the day certainly glad to have it and then you pay taxes on it whatnot. It's like so, being in a rap group. Yeah, it's like being in a rap group. So you know you split the royalties. Uh, so it's not like even if I wanted to, you know, I could be like, you know, yeah, I'll just break you off a little bit of of this for, you know, your car payment or something like that, you know, cousin, whatever. But now nah, nobody hit me up like that. Um, I had lots of congratulations from people who have known me throughout my career, you know, throughout my entire life. Uh, you know, people folks I hadn't heard from in years, mm-hmm. exes, just including exes, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, congratulations, because somehow you don't even know how word leaks out to them, but, you know, somehow it just does. I guess it gets on social media and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, any, it was any so indie like, any indie week people. Oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah a couple people because that's where you know you and I back in North Carolina uh, got to know each other because uh, you know I was writing for that uh, public. It was a weekly, all weekly. I I was on the um, the arts entertainment side. You was you know once again doing um, news stories and just. Is, is it? Yeah, you know, I just was wondering what experiences you remember from that, uh, from working over there. Oh, I, I mean, I remember uh, all of it vividly. You know, it was, uh, that was one of my first experiences in journalism. Um, one of my first experiences where I actually had, um, you know, staffers. Uh, I was one only, I think. I was a single reporter at my job before that was my, and that job was my first in journalism. So, you know, just the first time at, at, uh, at the Indie Week, which was then the Independent Weekly. And then the second time I was there, I remember all of it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of looking back on it, it was sort of a mixed bag and, you know, um, as these things usually are. 
Um, and I think I did some good work. Uh, I think I did some mediocre work. And you sort of don't even really, I don't even really um, reflect on it that much anymore. But um, but I'm just happy, you know, to to have had those experiences. I enjoyed my time in North Carolina, you know, mm. going around with everybody who worked there. Uh, I still miss North Carolina too, you know, uh, mm. a little bit. Uh, certainly had a vibe that uh, you know I don't think any other place that I've ever worked at or lived in had. Um, I don't know if I'd ever go back there to live, um, uh, but at the same time, I don't even know if the end of the week is still in business to be quite honest um, yeah yeah it is operator. yeah it's still it's still operating like you like because you worked at a weekly you know weekly you've been over at dailies i mean what would you say is the uh, big difference the difference is i mean there's a ton um and you know there's i know i don't know that many people work for any week anymore but i think I mean, most of the folks that i did know who left a long time ago just had you know increasingly bad things to say, which is not, you know, I, you know, I don't speak from direct knowledge as to what the journalism there or certainly the culture there is now. Um, in any case, uh, differences is just huge. Like, you know, you work on a daily cycle, you work on an investigative cycle, you work on a weekly cycle. It's just different parts of the, you know, feeding the, 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 no, the the appetite maybe for mm. um, for news and all of them are under under serious amount of distress um, and all weekly weekly papers period but certainly all weeklies have been hit hard mm. real hard I mean when I was there uh, last time I was there at the end of week working there there was like four reporters I don't know that they had a single full time reporter last time I or last I heard so. Mm. You know, just it's it's comparing two different eras. Like you know, the time of when we came up, Craig, and working in all week, that's that's dead. I mean, um, I doubt that twenty-two year olds, twenty-three year olds, even know what all, all weeklies are anymore. And didn't for them, it's not an avenue in which to come up through journalism and kind of learn the craft like it was maybe for us. So the you know, the differences are a real start. Um, but to be honest, I don't, bro, I was at, uh, remember the organization called AAN Association of Alternative yeah. Newsweek? Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that organization having, um, conferences that drew in people from all across the country. And this mm-hmm. is back when, you know, they were, you know, like the Houston, Houston Weekly back when it was owned mm-hmm. by New Times and all that. Yeah. Houston Press. Yeah. Houston Press. That was it. And they were the big companies, you know, and there were smaller companies, and some of the smaller work, smaller papers, and they all used to come, like places like New York and Philadelphia and et cetera, and there would be like 300, 500, 600 people there, not thousands, who knows. I was at uh, the awards banquet for um, AAN just this past year. There couldn't have been more than 75 people there. Um, and that was because uh, some folks from Northwestern invited uh, me and a couple of other people have been involved with a particular, you know, uh, fellowship program. But brother, I I miss all weeklies. Uh, I root for all weeklies, but I don't know that they to any sort of. And I'm sure there's been good journalism being done at all weeklies around the country, but I just don't think they really sort of exist anymore in any sort of tangible way in terms of the larger journalism ecosystem. Um, 
So newspapers and all the larger companies have had to fill those gaps. And I, it's a damn shame because I feel like that voice, you know, that sort of outsider voice is just kind of gone these days. Mm-hmm. Maybe that outsider voice is just uh, moved to other places. Like you don't need a, you don't need a, well, it's, it's not even just the voice necessarily because everybody's got a, a way to put uh, an opinion through Twitter on all the other social media platforms. You just want to talk as an individual about your observations or whatnot. But actual reporting about outsiders as opposed to just like being the outsider voice, you know, I don't know that where that happens anymore. Yeah. I, I miss writing for all weeklies, you know, writing the different, as you say, like the, you, you, you could write outside the box, you can talk about various other things that a lot of pe- uh, people uh, aren't covering, say, in, in, in the bigger, in the dailies or whatnot, just like you, you can do different things. Um, don't miss the uptight white people though. Just uh not a not nah, yeah. You know, they're they're you know, no is uh, the thing I don't know, and somebody was written for alt weeklies um throughout the years, um and then there's like it's some certain ones that are cool and everything, but for the ones that I I've collaborated with just uh the, you know, nothing reminds you that um young Woke white people are the problem, are part of the problem, than working in an alt weekly because just like, you know, you think they think they're they're cool and and with it and just like, but like, if because we're both people of color and and you know it's it's very obvious they're not, they don't know how to you know they haven't been around people like us so they get a little. You know, uptight, defensive, whatever you, you you try and do some things, and it just it gets gets crazy, and people are scared off or whatever. So, I mean, was that is was that is that was that experience that you've been I mean, through yeah. either from other pl- here or other places? Just, I mean, it, always there are things that you notice. You know, news side is a little bit different. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's little things. Um, you realize that there's sort of a different cultural experience between you and the folks that are running the newspaper. Um, and that sort of can manifest itself in any number of ways. I remember, I remember once I had to really fight, like really, really fight to, uh, and this was at all weekly. Uh, I had to fight for uh, a particular phrase. Like, you know how um, somebody goes to, you know, prison, Mm. In a lot of circles, that's called um, doing a bid, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, doing a bid for X amount of years, whatnot. Copy editor had to, you know, had a whole like fight with me about that language. Like, well, people aren't going to know what that uh, that means. It's like, you know, but which people are you talking about? Because yeah. my people, people who are, grew up with the experience that I did, and who are around folks who talk like this, they know, are they not our readers too? Mm-hmm. And also if they're not, like, aren't we, this isn't all weekly, I mean, how tired are we to sort of the, you know, this antiquated, you know, idea that's sort of in lockstep with the regular newspapers of the world, like about language and how to express ourselves. Like I thought this is where I could come to do that and mm-hmm. put my myself into my writing. Yeah. Uh, and it was like a small thing at the end of the day, but it was at the moment it just felt like, this is me fighting for, you know, my blackness in this like, you know, 
and people who look like me in this space because there weren't a lot of them. Bottom line was like, well, you know, these spaces are certainly filled with, uh, you know, newsrooms and all weekers are filled with folks that were certainly more liberal uh, and just not necessarily their politics, but just in their mindset. Uh, progressive in their mindset they would still come from communities and whatnot they didn't necessarily have uh, you know a whole bunch of experience with mm-hmm. or exposure to other folks yeah uh, so you always had disconnect i know you felt that a little bit more just there was never a black version of an all weekly i just well maybe there was maybe the closest thing to that was like the detroit uh free press not free press but uh detroit weekly mm-hmm. i don't know because i know that that had some black editors but I don't know that I've ever found a place where it was like, oh, this feels like home because, like, culturally, like, home. Oh, like, because there's people from down from the, co- the the copy editor to the interns to to the editor in chief and the publisher. Like, this feels like a space where, you know, um, that not just where my experience is reflected, but more like, you know, where people just sort of understand it. Face you're going to be like, we've all been in those spots where it's like, oh, ah, it's just like that tension comes out your shoulders and whatnot because it yeah. just feels comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. That place, you know, at least when I was in all weeks, I don't just, in, I never found it. I don't know that it ever existed. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to find that place just still. Um, yeah. Um, but so you learn to adapt. But you know, I think that there's a lot of different publications now um, that are trying to create a uh, an environment where um, different experiences are reflected, or respected, and embraced. Like uh, that are very tailor-made. You know, like uh, I can think of you know several that are like we are essentially like the fubu of this, like for us, by us, of, mm. you know, investigative journalism or, yeah. uh, or we're going to recover uh, uh, women's issues, but we're going to be a woman-centric uh, uh, publication looking at issues that affect women. And this, we're going to be women covering these issues and run by women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm. um, yeah, I think there's a little bit more. I'm talking know. about like the Amsterdam News? Yes. Galloway? Yeah. Exactly. 19th news, all that. Um, so, you know, they have, I think you can sort of micro target things now and uh, there's money out there an opportunity to sort of help you build that kind of publication. So that's cool, you know. Um, but yeah, all weeklies there, you know, all weeklies kind of going through evolution. They're like almost 50 years old by the time I got to them. So, you know, and that seemed to be I don't know what they'll become, but it seems like they may be on their last legs now. Definitely transform. Definitely. I mean, you know, I mean, when I was, uh, you just sort of fall in love with just the the craft and the words and, you know, Chicago Reader when I first, first, very first getting into the business, um, got my first real opportunity here in Chicago. Um, Chicago Reader was like it was maybe the, on top of the mountain maybe really just second behind the village voice in terms of reputation in terms of like the ability just the journalism that it produced and uh, you know it's commitment to covering uh, you know the city and just the writing and uh, man it was like that thick double fold 
used to like every Tuesday used to go there and like get all the listings and every other damn thing. Like it was just like the cultural Bible for the city in a lot of ways. And not just, certainly it was, it was skewed a little bit more towards certain cultural centers. There wasn't a ton of South side coverage, mm-hmm. but then West side covers. Um, but still, you know, to cover the city like nobody else did. And now God bless the folks in Chicago and I know they're still trying to do it, but it's not what it once was. It's I mean, maybe 75 pages. Um, it's to be like 200 plus most yeah. weeks. So, you know, it's something that I think that gets lost there um, when that kind of thing happens, when, when it, ha- it has happened. And I don't know. I don't know. I just I don't know who has, is going to recapture it. But we'll see. Yeah. Well, story in Red Eye, Chicago Red Eye. Oh yeah, my boy. Used to, that's not the same thing. Yeah, they tried. No, no, they did some good work. My boy used to write for them um, uh, back in the day. I used to have a column. It was a little bit controversial, but uh, yeah, I used to call it uh, what was it? Hump Day. <laughs> it was like his. Yeah. It ran on Wednesdays, and uh, yeah, it was basically his column about dating in the city. So raise some eyebrows from time to time. Tribune taking chances. That's cool. Well, yeah, you know, well, recently I was I was wondering, like, whatever you got at uh the globe, uh whatever your cut was, did that did that go to the uh European vacation that you covered very extensively via well, I saw it on, on your Facebook stories. I don't know if it was uh, any other. Oh, it was uh, on Instagram so, or something. No, no, no. It was just on Instagram. It was just on social media. Uh, I don't know. I'm not usually a person who, like, gets real uh, into social media like that. But, like, you know what? One, I have to let people know that I'm still alive because mm-hmm. I'm out here by myself. Yeah. Two, you know what? Why not? Um, so I just did what, you know, uh, I guess felt natural, just, like, taking pictures of wild stuff and writing about it in little micro form. Uh, but no, no, that, that money was long gone that was, uh, or saved or what have you. But certainly yeah, it, uh, I saved up a little, little, was able to save up some money. And uh, man, it was, um, that whole trip was just like real uh, spur of the moment anyway. Uh, I hadn't taken any vacation um, last year. And it turned out that I had... Um, a whole bunch of vacation that I need to either use or lose. And it was like, and also one of my uh, dreams for a long time was uh, to actually go travel outside the country, which is not something I ever did because, you know, workaholic um, and journalists don't get paid that much money. So it's like mm-hmm. I had an unused, uh, completely unused, fresh passport just sitting there on my desk. And trying to figure out what I was going to do. And it was just like, I started checking for flights. Turned out I get a direct flight from uh, Chicago to Europe. And it was like, take the cheapest place to land. And off I went. So, but yeah, it was cool. Um, never big uh, like landmarks or museum guy. I just wanted to go and just experience the culture as much as, much as I could. Uh, so started out in Amsterdam. Um, went to Paris and I was going to go move on after a couple of days in Paris but I was like just after a couple of days in Paris I was like nah let me stay 
So I was able to, you know, meet people, make some friends, uh, experience like a lot of different types of Paris, parts of Paris, um, and ate some really good food. So yeah, man, it was nice. It was just people were so, people are a lot less uh, gracious and generous than I think the the reputation that, you know, the French people have. And maybe that was just because they were curious about me because as soon as they, you know, heard from me, they was like, wait, this is your first time in Paris. No, wait, this is your first time in Europe? Are you traveling alone? They were like just flabbergasted by that. So, um, yeah, it's something to talk to people about. So that was cool. So I just got a whole bunch of recommendations on stuff to go, things to see from those folks, you know, because there's, I did find that there's a difference between like the things that folks who are Americans who visited Paris will tell you to do. And then the folks, things that, you know, act, people who actually live there will tell you to do. Um, so that was cool. Yeah. I and mean, it was, um, I don't know if everybody keeps asking me if it was life changing trips. Like, I don't know, maybe we'll see, but uh, it was certainly something that I needed, I think. And uh, I'm glad I did it. So you say the food was good. Yeah, and, the food was uh, good. Yeah, like it has it has me it just it has me thinking about. Uh, by the way, aren't aren't you glad I didn't ask if uh, if you know they if French people use deodorant or anything like that? Because I know that's that's probably what a lot of people are thinking. Yeah, it's a major it stereotype. stereotype. But you know, it's a stereotype. I don't know. It's very well founded anymore, though. Yeah. You know. I, it wasn't like I didn't, you know, smell a person from time to time. But, you know, yeah. you could say that here in the States as well. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of musty-ass people around here. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, but, you know, cause they all, people always say, like, when they go to Europe, uh, you know, Americans go to Europe, that the food is often better over there than it is over here because they use, like, you know, creams and, and, and different types of things to enhance the flavor is they don't and it's like now the food is stepped on if you if we could if we could use that term um i would say it's almost the opposite like um when you say stepped on um what i think is that like it's sort of there's additives yeah you know uh so you can dilute it and sort of mass produce it mm-hmm I would say that if it's just you know using this sort of clump, this rough sort of uh, analogy, that's more along the lines of American food, uh, well, as like, opposed to what I'm saying is like basically yeah. they use less spice, yeah. but but the ingredients are fresher and are better. Yeah, like you go, it ruined me for like you know takeout man for real. Like you can't. Because you walk around, you walk uh, down any sort of block in uh, Paris, you'll you will get you just there'll be amazing restaurant, just an amazing restaurant. Like the food is is legit better than what you get, you know, walking around in some other neighborhood uh, here in the states. And, and you know, great food states, New York, many uh, Chicago, L.A., whatever. I'm not a you know I don't know that much about dining cuisine here, and there's great food everywhere, but just go to like a regular Thai restaurant or something like that. You can see some takeout or whatnot. Mm. Can't do it anymore. Mm. Go because you go to the same place, same little takeout place uh, in in Paris, and it's like the noodles are fresh, the 
hand making sausage, you know, it's this Thai like traditional sausage right there. If you chop it up broccoli right in front of you and, and it's like, damn, y'all put this much like time and care into it. It's like, wow. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, not to mention like you got a fresh or a bakery where you can get fresh bread every single day on every, nearly every box, same with cheese, you know, desserts, whatnot. I mean, it's wild. Um, so no, it, you know, I think it's just a matter of the food just being better, uh, yeah. like the ingredients being better. Yeah. Um, and then they, in terms of like cultural stuff, they like they don't have. I mean, they don't have anything. They don't have Caribbean food. You know, they don't really have um, anything from like probably south of, um, you know, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, or at least no, I should say that probably south of North Africa. Like in terms of just like the folks that come from that part of the world like I just don't think they they have those cultural traditions because those folks aren't there in, in Paris but so much of everything else was just amazing like you know, um no hot chicken the, no actually yes they do have hot chicken which was wild I was like and then, and then it was just like frying it up like I mean don't get me wrong the fried chicken was very good that is one thing I certainly say. You can definitely get better here in the States. See, they don't even have, uh, they have no hot sauce tradition there. They don't really, no. they, they, oh, nothing, man. not really. No Tabasco. Man, they, no Tabasco. They couldn't even get Tabasco sauce. This is why one of the friends I made down there, he was, uh, he's actually starting a hot sauce company. He's trying to introduce the market to them mm. because they have no like, concept for like, spicy spicy stuff you know so there was a hot one hot chicken place that i found that was good but uh it wasn't like here in the states but uh, yeah they don't they don't have a spicy food it's not really their thing yeah. good food certainly very good food but not not spicy they don't have that tradition yeah i, I was i was curious yeah i was curious about that because um i don't know if you've heard uh did you hear about buttergate that happened earlier in the week no, what is Buttergate? I mentioned that. I didn't. Camilo, oh, did you did you hear about this? Uh, I tried to look that up, but I didn't find anything current. Uh, you got you got to explain this one. All right. Yeah, uh, okay, a black woman on Twitter. I think it goes by Afro Afro Sabi or Afro Sabi. Uh, she uh, apparently like you know because like there's this whole thing now where the egg there's an egg shortage and the butter shortage and winter, mm. and so. She can get her usual American butter. So she got Kerrygold Irish butter. Mm -hmm. And uh yeah, she she went off on how great Irish butter is and she's never going back. And it just kind of set off this whole thing on Twitter where Kerrygold was trending because uh, you know, sister found out about uh about uh Irish butter and then mm -hmm. some and then and then some uh, uh Karen came into her mentions talking about how the cows, I think, are dying and is, is in Ireland and uh, just like it's this feet, it's, you know, it, you know, the whole thing, it's the whole thing smacks the colonialism or some shit like that. And it just was this whole crazy back and forth over Irish butter. I, I was, I was amused. I was amused just by just, you know, uh, you know, a black woman, you know, finding out about white people butter, and that was like a whole thing, and just 
And, and it, it it briefly amused me, like one of the few times I was amused this week because it's just like it was it was one it was another thing where somebody uh made you know somebody say hey I I got this I think it's great I think you tried it. and somebody comes in and say you're destroying something and it was just like this whole crazy thing for a day. And I thought it was just, and, and yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting, and just made me think, you know, talk to Vernal about that because he was over overseas, and I'm sure he had a lot of butter. Yeah, I just um, wonder how the butter over there was. Um, well, there was nothing particular about butter, but I can tell you that there does not appear to be a shortage uh, in Europe, certainly because mm-hmm. you know, they like I said, there's. They're still cranking out the pastries. They're still yeah. cranking out the croissants. They're still cranking out all the things that require a lot of uh, very uh, um, butter, not a lot of rich, rich things. Um, which is, you know, weird because everybody there is just, you know, so damn skinny. But um, yeah. uh, I think maybe it has to do with any number of other factors. But in any case, but yeah, no, they don't. They don't appear to have any uh, problems over there. Um, I went to, I did go to a grocery store too, and you know, it was always well stocked with eggs and, and butter. Uh, there were some days when I just thought, you know what, let me just try to eat as local as I can, you know, just um, try to make some food, or not make some food, but at least get some food, which is just like some cheese and some bread and some wine, you know, mm. living stereotypically local. But, uh, no, nothing, uh, nothing along those lines that, I, you know, the uh, American people discovering, you know, the, I guess the joys of, uh, you know, European butter is always going to be kind of a funny thing. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, oh, what I, one thing that was interesting, um, I realized that, like, some of that milk, we're talking, like, original milk. We're not talking about, like, that, you know, 2%, 1% skin bowl. No, no. They got like original milk there, like it's thick. Like I don't even know if some of that was pasteurized, to be quite honest. But because yeah, I was at this hot sauce tasting, <laughs> and like these boys were, you know, some of it was serious. So, you know, in terms of the the Schofield rating or whatever it was, uh, yeah, a level of, level of spice. Yeah, Schofield. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in any case. There were times when you definitely needed some milk, and they, you know, brought out some milk, and I was like, "What is this?" So yeah, there was uh, there was certainly some differences there. So um, like the shit, your shit went straight uh, from the cow to it the. It was bought uh, from the grocery store, but it was I, certainly different. I, yeah, and I was just saying, like, it's from the cow into the bottle. They don't check it or no shit like that. It would do it. I have no went, idea. But all they they probably is, use some different kind of hormones that we don't use. I mean, they probably don't use the hormones or whatever we use to like yeah. thin it out or whatnot. Who knows? Maybe again, I have no idea. All I say is if if you go buy whole milk in uh, Paris or France, perhaps, and you buy whole milk here, there's going to be, at least from my perception, a, a difference. So um, yeah, it's just thicker mm-hmm. way way thicker uh so yeah which is different you know just because i'm used to drinking like two percent milk you know it's just like 
almost feels like water compared to what they're drinking over there. That was wild. Hey, you you drink milk, man? I mean, every time you need some cereal. Oh, yeah. Obviously yeah. not lactose intolerant. Yeah. Like, yeah. like some of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I may still be. Who knows? That day may, I may be, and just don't know it, or maybe that day is coming. Yeah, yeah man, every now and then, just need to grab a quick bowl of cereal. Well, you know, I, I can't, I can't do milk at all, especially, uh, well, white milk, just just regular ass white milk, because it's always disgusted me in some form or another. And and now and now, like you know, because I'm old and and, and you know. Yeah, and I and it, I am officially lactose intolerant. This is just like it was like one of those things where it's just like like a decade ago, like it was official. Yeah, I can't, I can't just 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 get consume dairy all willy nilly and shit. It's just I got you know, I gotta you know take I gotta take a couple of lactate and then like I have to take some time off to you know before I get into ice cream or anything with dairy in it it's just like because you know just yeah just, i thought i thought i was coming down with stomach cancer one time but it, it turns out i just was eating too much cream cheese because that's what yeah just makes you feel all kind of weird inside just like oh my I'm, i think i'm dying like no no you just eat too much cream cheese so. Uh, I guess I must be blessed because, you know, I've never had a problem with ice cream or anything like that. Maybe uh, maybe if I was drinking the milk they have over there constantly, yeah, it might be a different story. But no, no, never had a problem. Well, what else can I tell y'all? Well, I mean, you're you're doing with, uh, you're, you're over there at ProPublica now, and you're in the Midwest newsroom. And, uh, so is it ProPublica or ProPublica? You know, I think that's always been a debate. Um, or I didn't know which one it was before I got here. Everybody here says ProPublica. Pro I have not heard ProPublica yeah. once since I have worked here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm going with ProPublica. Okay. Yeah. And you've uh, written you, you've written some stories. Like the, the thing I noticed is just, uh, you, you collaborate with like a station or somebody works at the station in in working on stories like what how does that usually come into play to find the things you write about uh for ProPublica? well i mean generally we've got I and mean, ProPublica is an organization that gets any number of tips um we do our own news gathering um to you know cultivate those tips um and just sort of sort those out. It's just like any other investigative journalism outfit. Information comes in, you sift through it, try to find something that's worth writing about, or rather, before you can get to the writing process, you gotta try to get to a, something that's worth researching and looking into. Writing is like getting the green light on that. It's just like that maybe, you know, weeks worth of effort before you get there. Um, but, for me, um, last since I've been here, you know, ProPublica is a place that uh, sort of uh, uh, it emphasizes, or you have to be a very collaborative person to work here because you know we work a lot in teams, either internally or there may be organizations that uh, um, from outside that have some interest or in a story or just working with ProPublica. Or maybe they were the ones who actually had the tip to begin with. Um, 
or the story idea to begin with. And part of ProPublica's mission is not just to do, you know, allow the reporters who are here on staff do like really ambitious work. It's to just further the mission of journalism and kind of like help other organizations that don't necessarily have the um, same amount of resources they can give their uh, reporters who want to do these stories, like the time and the room to do them, like to give them that time and room. So, you know, we've got any number of fellowship programs, um, any number of like, um, you know, programs where people can work with us, partner with us, all that stuff. And really sort of, we lean on that a lot because, you know, uh, again, it's, there's been, and, you know, I'm kind of reciting the company line, but I do believe in that. I think it's part of the mission is good. There are places in America where, you know, investigative journalism shouldn't be just be relegated to uh, the coast. You know, mm. it shouldn't just be in New York. It shouldn't just be in Florida. It shouldn't just be in California. Um, and it's not, but it has receded a significant amount with all the you know things that we've been talking about with uh, you know uh, the receding of journalism in this country. So ProPublica's whole thing is like let's be kind of a bulwark and let's give you know people and reporters from everywhere an opportunity to to do this work so that they can continue to do this work even after they stop working with us because like it's necessary. Like, you know, there's stuff going on. It just shouldn't be going on in places, things that need reporting, things that need shed light on. Um, and everywhere, you know, from as far as like Boise, Idaho to like, you know, uh, East St. Louis to, uh, you know, small towns in West Virginia, you know, like places that, you know, you know, where journalism just doesn't exist in the same way. And like, you know, small towns in Georgia. So, uh, so yeah, we do a lot, put a lot of emphasis on partner. Um, and you know, last couple of times, my last couple of times, I've written stories with uh, a great local reporter at the news station here about a hospital uh, on the south side. That's an incredibly important hospital right, to a lot of different people and to yeah. sort of the ecosystem of healthcare here in uh, Chicago. Um, but because you know, it's but it's challenged in a lot of ways that are you know not just systemic um but maybe just uh, i'm not trying to make excuses for the place but there are certainly things in healthcare that um um not disenfranchised what's the word puts it at a um a disadvantage mm. um as opposed to some of the large larger sort of university affiliated hospitals it's an incredibly necessary hospital it's still you know they they screwed up in a lot of ways um that were documented very well by the you know regulatory agency so we were just able to uncover that so that a whole you know uh, picture of the hospital um could be you know uh, seen by the public so i think that was pretty good work this year um and we'll see if we can uh, continue that work you know, moving forward yeah. Hey, you know Charlie? Charlie Ornstein? Hell yeah. That's oh yeah, he's actually right there. Yeah, he's actually here. Like he's he's uh Is next he? door. Yeah, yeah, he's here in Chicago this week. Um, I um I used to work with him. Oh word? Oh, I'll tell him. Yeah, uh, okay. 
And yeah, that's yeah. where he, he did the Martin Luther King Hospital investigation. Exactly. Yeah, he's a healthcare reporting guru. And he's, uh, you know, um, yeah, he wanted to listen to that stuff out there, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. Um, he's yeah. Good guy. It's, I only uh, know white people work at ProPublica. I don't know. I don't, you're like the first black person. I think. Oh, there are there are other black folks though there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always a deficit, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's at the end of the day, there are a lot of reasons for that. But ProPublica is is trying to take steps to rectify that. Um, but you know, it's like everywhere else. Um, there are uh, black folks that work. There are people of color that work at ProPublica, um, and but we are underrepresented. In, mm -hmm. in terms of this organization, and I think that's certainly something that the organization would admit. Um, and but certainly not alone. It's probably look at now, and it's certainly not the worst one I've ever worked at in terms of just like numbers or concern. Like, bro, I, I worked in New Jersey, worked at the Star Ledger, and I was like, oh, black folks in New Jersey, people of color in New Jersey, and uh, we go way way underrepresented there. This was after they, they uh, did you work downtown or did you work in the, in the, the I worked at the, when they moved, this is after they moved to the Burbs, which, you know, okay. the, the downtown office was like this legendary place, you know, uh, just because yeah. it's, you know, it's where so much of the great journalism done and they've been there forever, but it was also like, you know, this incredibly run down uh, place. I worked there. Oh, work. Okay. I did my internship there. I okay. hated journalism after that. I couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out where I fit in over there. But uh, I did. I spent the summer there. And uh, but I wanted to ask you, what was the wildest thing you saw in Newark? Because I was looking at some of your clips, and you you did the straight up murder beat, man. And so, yeah. what was the wildest thing that you saw in in Newark? First off, the murder beat was like looking back on that, man. It was like, man, we got to fix the way we cover these cities and cover policing. Because of that, because because of the way that they, because of the company they had become, there was like this lack of context to all of that. It was like, just go out and chase, chase police and go to the next murder scene and go to the next murder scene and go to the next murder scene. And there were a lot of them. And, you know, I look on those days as like, that's kind of where I cut my teeth as a daily journalist because that teaches you a lot of skills at the same time. It's like, damn, it's just about, you know, Black folks killing, they're dying in the city. In any case, but the it was New York was New York was wild, man. Um, did you have seeing? Did, I was just saying, did you but, did y'all have the scanner down there? Just like because I've offered all the oh, stories. Like, oh, we had something you know. different. We subscribed to this service essentially that basically gave you police alerts. Mm -hmm. And you know, at, at some point, my my sources were so good that. Um, Sources, particular types of sources. But I had good sources that were like, "Hey, we need to get to this particular corner, and this is happening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." So then we got to the point where I didn't even need a scanner. Um, but then his wild is kind of like a sort of ex. It's an interesting term. Like some of the wildest things I saw was like um, a body laying in the street that was uncovered um, while, uh, you know, this lady, this dude, the victim's cousin was across the street looking at it basically. And I'm sitting there trying to talk to her about her cousin and what happened and like tell, 
talk to me about you know who your cousin was trying to get some context for who he was so I could write something more than like 34 year old male shot dead in the street and she was like having an emotional moment you know and like going through that trauma of like seeing uh, you know her loved ones laying there in the street which was wild um and that happened to me multiple times like I can remember this sitting in my car trying to write something up and you know in my laptop in the front seat because that's just how we did it. Um, you know, you wrote stuff, breaking news, got to get up, get it up immediately. And, you know, as the sun is coming up, I hear this dude just start wailing as, you know, is just mourning his, uh, I think it was his cousin, maybe his brother, I forget now. Um, but just in the street, wailing, you know, just yelling at the top of his lungs, like, they killed my cousin, they killed my cousin. This is the sun was coming up, and like right in front of me, you know, like the sun was coming up in that direction, which is wild. Um, and there was a lady, I didn't actually see it, but the, I saw him bring the body out, like, um, and I don't know if they ever solved this one, but they found a, a lady without a, you know, damn, I forgot if it was a lady without a head or a head without the corpse, or like the head without the rest of the body in a freezer somewhere. No, it's no joke. It was no joke. So you did overnight cops. That was that was your that was your thing. All day and overnight, I just did cops in um, in Essex County, which was not just Newark. It was you know all, all the other rugged places like man, mm. Orange, East Orange, you know, Irvington, uh, Irvington. I'm I'm from out there. That's my family's from. You can tell. Yeah, yeah. South so Eighteenth Street. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I'm trying to check that. People die here. To, people out here catch that. Nah, man, embrace it. <laughs> Like I have embrace a it. I, embrace it, man. For you feel like you sound like you're from somewhere, and that, you know, for me, like uh, being from New Orleans, like they, you know, it's almost like not having that accent. Just as I traveled all over the place, lived all over the place, and my parents didn't have too strong accents to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never had a strong one, so it's kind of gone now. And you know, it makes you feel disconnected from a place. Mm-hmm. So I mean, everybody you know, has a own personal, you know relationship with uh, well everything about that when you rap oh the quarter ran out that, yeah are you, are you there man uh, like for me oh like, oh here he is yeah we are well lost there for a minute what you want to finish your thought oh i was saying um i forgot where i was but... D- disconnected from a place of which i feel i feel that yeah, it makes me feel disconnected from New Orleans. Like, you know, when I go back there, my friends sound like they're from there. I don't. And then I go out in the world and people don't necessarily know where I'm from. Um, so, you know. You just got to say, you heard me. That's what you got to yeah, say. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you, know, you can almost like pantomime, but it like, you know. And then when you're there, it comes back a little bit. But, you know, I do uh, miss yeah. that. Just feeling like I'm from that place. You're just sort of hearing it. Like, what was wild when I was in Paris was like, they immediately pegged you as an American. It was like, yeah. oh, yeah, you sound like you're from. Because, like, you have an accent. I ain't heard nobody tell you, tell me you have an accent in a long time. So, yeah. I was uh, born in New Orleans and I, I like, I am so disconnected from that whole culture. Because, like, yeah. they, because I, I, they, I, I was born there and apparently a two, year or two later, the family moved out and, 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 yeah, now I've been here in Houston. I don't even sound like I'm from Houston. So, I'm you just don't like, sound like, you have a little bit, but, uh, you know, that, that deep sort of Houston. Yeah, you don't have that deep Texas sort of. We don't know if you're from. You could be 
it's like halfway Louisiana, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, man, um, there's, there's, uh, more than a few, um, folks of color at ProPublica. But like I said, you know, we're underrepresented in almost every newsroom. People come up are underrepresented in almost every newsroom in America, including the LA Times. Like one of the craziest stats I think I saw, the facts I read a couple of years back, and I don't know if it's still true, was like the LA only had an extremely small, like Mexican American population, Latino population, like in a um, in a newsroom, like Latino employees. And I was like, what? It's LA. Yeah. How is that possible? How do you, do you have to like almost go out of your way not to lose yeah. people of, you know, of, of uh, Hispanic or Latino descent? Especially uh, if you look at uh, editors. Editors is real bad. Yeah. I think it's gotten better though. They, they've been hiring ground people like hotcakes. That's what I heard. Uh, once they got exposed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean, as as you know, as an African American uh, investigative journalist, this is kind of like this thing where just like, oh, you're you're black, so you know everything black, yeah. and and like, do people do people in the newsroom or just pe- just roll up on you try to get like the you know, the black intel? Like they see, like no. they go on Twitter talking about, hey, I I saw this 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 Lori Harvey being talked about a lot. Do do, do you know anything no. about that? Bro? No, that doesn't happen. Um, I mean, even if, I think the folks that here are a little bit, uh, they're too, um, they know enough not to do that kind of thing. And they, I don't think they would even. Um, but I experienced something similar to that in like daily newsroom from time to time, but not here. Um, I think folks are way too savvy for that to, you know, mm-hmm. misstep in that particular way. Um, and it's the next level. Yeah. Um, there's no, and there's no, like, there's no pressure to, um, that's what I mean. like, no one's coming to you to be, to cover, like, to get insight into black issues or, yes. or you know, uh, no one's coming to you for that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, there's a, there's a meeting going on that, uh, that might need to head into in a minute. Okay. But uh, um, but yeah, uh, at the same time, you know, it's just it's impossible to be here, and it's possibly be any, I think, organization, um, journalism organization in two thousand twenty-three, um, and not look around and see that you know there's certainly still issues, continuing issues with you know. Uh, folks getting into this industry and staying in this industry. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of those conversations over the last couple of years, like as an industry, but again, you know, sometimes it's just conversation and what is tangible, like what tangible does it lead to? Um, you know, where is the pipeline? So, oh, people talk to you about like, uh, especially investigative journalism, like there's no, there's no pipeline, you know, for folks of color into the business. Like, well, that's because y'all didn't create one or didn't maintain it. You know, uh, don't tell me that folks don't have the aptitude. I know folks don't have desire because no folks who want to do this work. Mm-hmm. This is all a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, 
other opportunities, you know, more opportunities is certainly not nearly where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, at the end of the day, um, it depends on the office, depends on where you are, you know, in terms of just like somebody who shares your cultural heritage, you might feel very lonely in a newsroom, you know? Um, and I don't know if that will ever change during my career, um, but unless there is a space that, like I said, I, I don't know. Hey, we got people yeah. like you. It's good. It's good. We got people like you to look at. So you stuck with it. That's how I'm it's trying, going. man. Yeah, you know, like, and it was. It's been like Craig said. It's been you know a long, long road here, um, and. You know, like you said, like I said before, sometimes you got to keep trying to figure out if you want to stay in it, you know, because, you know, there's sometimes like, man, I'm like, you know, I'm tired, <laughs> you know, but. Um, it's hard to know. circle back, though, when you make a segue, because I was a homepage editor at MSN. I work with Dave. Oh, work? And I got, I, I got I laid off after like oh, four, four years I worked there. But like you found your way back. Like it's 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 not easy to find your way back. Only through like I don't even know if it's stubbornness, maybe uh, just you know, you sort of had that chip on your shoulder, just like something. I don't know. I look back on that, and I was like, damn, that was rough. Like most people, if they were smart, would have just been like, okay, that's signal enough to be like, you laid off you know, for like the third time in like five years. I'm like, maybe this industry doesn't want me. Uh, maybe I should go do something else that's less hectic, more lucrative, you know, something else. But, uh, yeah, I stayed in it. And I'm glad I did, um, you know, and it ended up paying off. Don't get me wrong, there's sacrifices that come along the way. Like, you know, like I said, I, should, I hadn't been out the country. Um, you know, that taking time for myself to, to do things that's so focused on succeeding. So there's a cost, you know, and not just that one. But uh, I don't have any regrets. So, but yeah, man, I, if nothing else, like, it, I think about more and more just like being the kind of person or rather the kind of figure, editor, mentor that maybe I didn't have, like, when I was coming up. And to do that, you have to be present. Like if I was to do go do something else, like you know, the next person wouldn't see me in the newsroom, wouldn't come to me and ask me questions, wouldn't feel have somebody that feel comfortable, you know, to talk to, um, and I wouldn't have people I could share some experience with, you know. So, uh, I mean, the next thing I don't know, uh, people could ask me if you want to be an editor. And I think I like that work. Um, so we'll see what happens. Maybe that is the thing that's going to, maybe that's the next step for me. Because uh, other people are like, you know, oh, you can win another Pulitzer. Like, who am I, the Jordan? Like, I, like, you know how hard it is to win a Pulitzer? Think how lucky you have to be? Like, and how much, like, I can't manufacture that much, like, you know, uh, whatever man, my man George was manufacturing for himself to keep himself motivated like I don't need to win seven of these you know it was hard enough um, so and also you don't want to just like shoot for like Pulitzer's right like that um, but the point is like 
you get you got to for me i got to keep finding you know reasons why i you want to stay in this work and stay in this business and you know i think maybe becoming a editor and like i said being that person for younger reporters might be one of them yeah well uh i think we should wrap this up since both of y'all i believe we got to go and uh, do stuff but uh just you know you want to uh you know shout out where people can uh contact you where people where people can find your work you know if you have any plug worthy stuff you want to uh, close us out with um i don't know man my, my name is pretty unique uh so you can just google me at ProPublic. you can find me on twitter you can find me on uh yeah twitter mostly and uh at propublica.com uh, I work in the Midwest office out of Chicago. Um, and yeah, that's where we primarily do uh, our journalism business here in the Midwest. Or rather, I shouldn't say that. No, it's uh, this is where our um, headquarters is, I guess. So um, in, the, in the Midwest. Um, so yeah, any tips or anything like that that I should be looking into, please feel free to contact me. Uh, all my stuff is on the internet. So. Yes, yeah. sir. How how should we close this out, Camilo? Because we 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 never really talk about how, what's the the right way to 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 to. Should we just say, hey, um, that's it? Nice, just because I'm I'm bad at that personally. Just like I just I just peter out. Just like, hey, good luck, and just have a good. Keep keep going. Keep. Wait, keep, what was the thing you said? Why do you, why do you stay in journalism again? Uh, basically to, to give back to oh, the next generation. Yeah. Yeah, give back to the next generation. Exactly. That's what it is. There you go. That's a nice yeah. tag. Oh, okay, well, I guess we'll end with that. Alright, well, uh, well, good luck, uh, Vernal, uh, with stuff, and keep on fighting a good fight. Right, I'll, I'll talk to you again. We'll do this another three years. Alright, that, that sounds good. <laughs> Alright. All right. All right. All right. All right. Appreciate y'all. Bye. Peace. Yeah.